And so yeah, there's a couple other things that we're going to be doing. We just really are believing uh, that the prophetic words have been spoken over the church. Um, the various things that it would be a center of equipping people, uh, particularly other leaders in ministries, um, that we want to just steward what the Lord is doing here. So I just wanted to put that in your ear because it's excitement, but I also want you to be um, sure of this. Just because there are maybe some slight aesthetic changes, things aren't changing here. Like, we're not going to become like some kind of like institutional corporate kind of entity in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes if you start to see the exterior of the veneer going that way, you may get nervous. But that is not our heart one bit. Amen? Come on. But we just want to uh, upgrade uh, some things into modern times. Amen. So yeah, let's, uh, let's open up to uh, 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to be continuing with our series on Paul. Discovering Paul, understanding Paul. And so this week is a revelation brings a thorn. A revelation brings a thorn. Alright, so Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, Second Corinthians, um, chapter 12. Let's begin in verse 6 down to verse 12. <clears throat> For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. This is obviously Paul speaking. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, I might that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities and in reproaches and needs in persecutions in distresses for Messiah's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me for all to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accompanied or accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Father, we come before you and we just ask that we can grow in our understanding that of the teachings that Paul has written down that is really the teaching of you via the Holy Spirit. This particular scripture verse is a little perplexing. Lord, I pray that we have open hearts and, and open minds and a, an open spirit to receive what you're speaking forth today. In Yeshua, Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. Has anyone heard a teaching on the thorn in the flesh of Paul throughout your years of faith? Just raise your hand. We've got two, four. All right, a little bit more. Okay, cool. About eight of you. Um, now, this is, I think, one of the most perplexing uh, little events in the Bible. You got this thorn in the flesh that was given to Paul. It was given to him by a messenger of Satan. Holy cow. Then he asks the Lord, please take it away from me. He doesn't ask once. He doesn't ask twice. He asks three times for the thorn to be removed. The Lord is like, no. My grace is sufficient for you. I mean, it's a very perplexing thing. Like, what is a thorn? What is the purpose of the thorn? What's going on? 
And so what is the thorn in the flesh that Paul has? Does anyone have any uh, ideas? And don't worry, they're all ideas because no one knows. Anyone have, any, anyone have been a taught on like what, one of, what, what, what the thorn might be? Yeah. Okay, I like that one. So uh, the thorn in his flesh is the remembrance and the regret of persecuting believers before he came to faith. All right, so yeah, the, the limp uh, theory. Any others? Okay. Good. Always Eileen. I, I gotta, I gotta stop asking questions because Eileen always jumps to it. It's awesome. Maybe because we, we grew up in, in similar circles. All right, so here's the thing. There's all these ideas out there. There's, there, there. A lot of people think like maybe it's a sickness. Maybe as he lives in, uh, in the Mediterranean, maybe it's malaria or cholera. Uh, some people think he's married and he's like going, charting after the, the Lord and his wife is back home and he misses her. Some people say, oh, it's not that. He's, it's that he's not married. And so he's got a, a confusion in his spirit of lust and desire and human desire and all this kind of stuff. Uh, maybe that's it. Some people say it's his limb. Some people say it's regret. There's all of these theories out there, but it's kind of funny because no one knows because it's not clearly stated. And if Paul does not clearly state it, it probably doesn't really completely matter. It's kind of funny. Now, with all that being said, before we get into the purposes of the thorn, of the why, I'll give you my, my best answer on what the thorn is because it has an element to uh, what's going on here in the teaching today. My best answer is I, I believe, as Eileen was saying, that the thorn is a person. It's a person that follows Paul's ministry. He goes around, he preaches, he leaves the town, and then the next day comes a false teacher that comes in and starts to, to discredit Paul. I'm not saying it's 100% that's it, because we don't know. But I think that there's some good evidence that suggests, suggests this. For example, Acts 16, when in Galatia, he says that these false apostles have come to discredit his ministry. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, right before chapter 12, in, verse, uh, in chapter 11, before he talks about the thorn, he discusses these false teachers that are coming and, um, coming and annoying him. Uh, and then, right after the text that we're going over today, in uh, verse 8, he begins to talk about these false teachers yet again. So, he talks about the thorn before the thorn. Uh, he's discussing false preachers. After the thorn, he's talking about false preachers and apostles yet again. I think it's a good way to look at it. It's quite possibly people that are coming to discredit his ministry. The truth of the matter is, is that, as I was saying before, it really uh, actually, it doesn't say exactly what the thorn is. And then therefore, um, it may be actually not, not really matter. Many uh, theologians are, are trying to ask what the thorn is, which is kind of funny. Because I don't think that's the intent of Paul here. If it was, he would tell you. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. I always teach kids what's are bad questions. They're very low-level questions. They're very low-level intellectual questions. What? Whys are much more important and much deeper questions. And what's funny here is Paul actually tells us the why. So as so many people are thinking about the what, what is the thorn, they're missing the point of the matter. The point of the matter is why did I get the thorn? 
He tells us, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So what we have here, we have that a messenger of Satan was brought to him so that he would be humbled. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But the Lord said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, in my difficulties, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am made strong. So we have here is the purpose of the thorn. The purpose of the thorn is for him to be humbled and so that he will grow in the grace of the Lord. That's the why. Now let me just dispel the white elephant in the room. The thorn is not cancer. The Lord does not give you a disease to humble you. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. That's why I don't like the... I don't like the calamity. I don't like the illness thing, that there must be some kind of illness. The Lord is not a God. It's like, hmm, I love my son and daughter. Let me give them, boom, let me give them a disease and make their life horrible. Amen. Right. I, I don't think uh, God operates that way. I think there's plenty of proof, te proof text in Scripture that discusses the opposite, right? Even as James was talking about Isaiah 53, that he wants to heal you. Right? That Jesus comes into a room and, and, and people are healed when he's there. He's not like, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to heal you. Nah, you know what? I'm going to allow you to suffer. Thank you, Lord. And that's, that's a vibe that's been in the church for a while, right? But it's, it's, it's from the pit of hell. Okay? So the thorn is not like something that the Lord is just like, ah, I'm going to give you a disease. So I want to dispel that. But it is something that the Lord allows to occur for the messenger of Satan to bring to Paul to keep him humble. This raises yet another question. Okay, Paul needs to be humble. Why does Paul need to be so humbled? What's going on in his life that makes him have to be so humble? Let's read because the context tells us exactly why this man needs to be humble to such a degree. Let's read. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 6. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. For I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. This is what's going on here. That man that Paul is discussing right there is Paul. Like every scholar is like, Paul is exercising an a, a, a exercise of humility. I'm not going to tell you about a guy who went up into heaven, out of body, in body, I do not know. But then he goes on, oh, I shall not boast. So every scholar out there is like, this is Paul. This is what's going on here. Paul is a man that 14 years ago from the writing of this, which would be essentially that uh, Galatia chapter 1, he was talking about how he spent three years in Arabia. 
you take a look at the chronology, it's most likely around that time when Paul first meets the Lord and he spends those three years in Arabia and he receives a revelation of Jesus. It's at that time that Paul is taken up into paradise. He's taken up into the third heaven. And he sees things. Now what's so amazing here is there's a couple things here. He says that he was taken up into the third heaven. And so that you understand things, Paul is a Jewish man. The word for heaven in Hebrew is shemaim, which means that which comes from water. And shemaim has a, it's, it's, it's a problematic word because it's very broad. Uh, shemaim can refer to the skies. Like literally I'll be like, hey, look up at the sky. Look up at the shemaim. It would actually be the clouds that you see. That's the first level of Shemaim, the first level of the heavens. The second Shemaim is like the stars, space, if you will. And then the third level of Shemaim, the third heaven, is like the throne room, like the everlasting place. So it's not like some like, there's all these different levels of heaven and things like that. Well, there are some scriptures that talk about there being like different rooms and things of that nature. Uh, but right here, when Paul's talking about the third heaven, he's talking about like the place. The Shemaim, the heavenly abode where the presence of God is. And he says that he was taken up into paradise and he saw things that are inexpressible. He doesn't even have the words. He can't even come up with the words to explain and express what he saw. And even if he could come up with the words, it says that it is unlawful for man to even utter what he saw. Holy cow, that's why this guy needs to be humbled. He saw a revelation of the throne room of God that no other human being has ever saw. And so that you don't get puffed up, I'm going to send you a thorn. So as mighty as you are in what you saw, I'm going to have, I think, some guy come after you and discredit you to keep you because you just saw the throne room of God. Now notice, like, I mean, you know, you're just people who's like, I've, I've been to heaven, and then they write books about it and stuff. Paul's like, I've been to heaven, I'm not even going to say it's me, actually. I can't even tell you what I saw. It's so inexpressible. It's unlawful for me to utter the profound nature of what I saw. It's unbelievable. And so in the scriptures, there, there are a couple of people who, who get these heavenly visitations. They're able to enter into some heaven-like place. When I mean like some heaven-like place, like I don't know if it's the direct throne room of God or how heaven may be articulated and, 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 and planned out. But we know this, Ezekiel has a vision of, a, of heaven, right? The, the famous wheel within the wheel in the throne room of God. And Ezekiel writes about it. Isaiah goes in a heavenly vision and a fiery coal is placed upon his mouth and he sees the, the robe of the Lord, the glory of the Lord fill the temple. And he writes about it. John, the entire book of Revelation, he sees the end times, he sees the end of all things and us declaring the goodness of the Lord. At the end of time, he writes an entire book about it. But Paul, it is so inexpressible and it is unlawful. I am not allowed to state what was said. That is how holy and how amazing it is what I saw. That's, isn't that crazy? It's unbelievably crazy. It must have been, I mean, it's beyond words. So he needs to be humbled. Because he saw what no living man has ever seen. 
I want this to sink in. He saw things that no living man has ever seen. And so the question for you is this thorn, this accuser of the brethren, I'm calling it. I'm going off the premise that someone is discrediting Paul. And even if you don't want to buy into, like, it's a person, I get it. If, if, if it's some kind of ailment, which I don't necessarily agree with, but if there's something going on in Paul's life, which we know it is, you know that that thing is acting as an accuser. You have this disease because of X. Right? This person is uh, irritating the heck out of you because of this. You're going through this because you're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You screwed up. You did something wrong. Blah, 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 blah. It's the accuser of the brethren. And we know who the accuser of the brethren is. It is Satan. The enemy of our souls. Accusing us before the throne room of God. But Jesus is there interceding for us before the Father. And so my question to you is, do you have a thorn in the flesh? Does anyone have something or someone that is just a flat-out irritant in your life every day? No? Yeah. It's like, man, have you prayed for it to go away? And has it not gone away yet? And I'm not talking about sickness. I don't, I don't believe that fits into this at all. But you know, that person at work, that mother-in-law, that father-in-law. You know? It's like the old joke. <laughs> Why did Peter deny Jesus three times? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. <laughs> You're allowed to laugh in the house. I'm not being serious. It's just a joke. Like Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he denies it three times. Just saying, I wonder if there's a correlation. My mother-in-law is an angel, by the way. She's not here today, but she's an angel. Yeah, come on, right? There, there are things. Like, I, I'll be honest. They're probably not listening at work. But I got a couple of colleagues, and I'm like, you're a little bit of a thorn in my flesh there, aren't you? You know? All right, here it is, man. A revelation of Jesus brings a thorn. Because unearned suffering is redemptive. To bear a revelation, we need humility to not profane the revelation of the heavenly place. Paul goes and sees things in the heavenly place, and to keep him humble, there is a thorn that comes from to keep him humbled. And so I would say this, as we grow in revelation, progressive revelation of the Lord, there are going to come things in our life that are going to, in the natural, want to irritate us, to, to rub us the wrong way. I was just talking to Josh, we just had a meeting last night talking about the, the future of the church and as, as things grow and as revival breaks forth, you know that when revivals break forth, sometimes or a lot of times they die out and they die out for different reasons. And one of the reasons is because interpersonal uh, relationships of ministers, they start to irritate one another, right? I want to do it this way, you want to do it this way, but this is my territory, that's your territory. And we were coming up with a plan of like, how do we teach leadership? Like, we're not going to allow that to happen here. And I guarantee you, as this church grows in its revelation of the power of the gospel and see it on planet Earth in our midst, there's going to become irritants that happen. And so in your life, as you grow deeper in the Lord, there are things that come forward. I'm not getting into the jam like, well, he's a God in his providence that gives it to you and all. I'm not getting into this whole 
crazy kind of theology. All I'm saying is this. We live in a world where things happen. Right? And there's irritants that happen. And sometimes we pray those irritable people and those difficulties away and then always go away. And maybe the Lord is saying, I'm doing these things so you can rely on me. Right? Rely on the power of me for when you are weak, I am strong. Amen? And so who are these? What are these thorns? The thorns are essentially is the accuser of the brethren. Satan will use people and use things to irritate you. You know, coming to church and like you have a flat tire. Or anyone else getting into a little, well, I would say, not a, a domestic dispute <laughs> on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. One of the first things I told to, told, told to Josh when he became a pastor, I'm like, you watch. Amen. Saturday night and Sunday morning, the accuser of the brethren is going to try to slide right in there and create all this irritant so that you're off when you come to church. It's, it's like, like almost a guarantee. Like last night, 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, Eden is having these like crazy, very bad dreams. Like so, you know, four, I'm like, we're not sleeping, this and that. It's like, we're, you know, this is coming from a pit, right? To irritate, right? And, and that's what happens, unfortunately. But, but not just unfortunately, but also fortunately. So we can mold it into the image of the Lord. Why does the accuser of the brethren come? And, and what do you do when he does come in all these kind of situations? So there's, there's four times in Scripture where I really feel that, that particularly the enemy is acting as this irritant. He's really acting as this thorn. Okay? And I think you could probably uh, uh, um, relate. The first one is Jesus. This one's very, very interesting. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and he's tempted by Hasatan, the enemy, Satan. Right? Tempts him three times. But what's very bizarre is if you read the scripture, it says, and the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. It's like, come on, man. No, no, Holy Spirit led him to a place to be tempted. It's like, that's not fair. Like, that's not fair, man, you know? So he gets led into the wilderness place to be tempted by Satan. And right, I, I did a teaching on that several months ago. And what is Jesus' response? He says, Ketuv. It is written. Like, you're putting all this temptation my way, but it is written in the word of God about this. Right? And so his response is one of, of, of laying and standing on the promises of God, on the word of God, that he doesn't allow the thorn to get to him. Probably the most sensitive one is Job. Right? I mean, we're talking about a major messenger of Satan, actually Satan himself. He says, let me go to Job and let me make his life hard. And, uh, and, and, and the Lord's response is, whatever you do to him, do not take his life. Whatever you do to him, I am telling you, he's a faithful servant and he will always worship me. And so when he's there, what happens, right? He, he starts to receive a lot of uh, difficulties, but probably the most difficult thing in Job's life is that his friends and his wife begin to accuse him. It's enough to go through the infirmity, but now his wife and his friends accuse him. You must have done something wrong. Just curse God and die so you can have all this go away. And what's Job's response? Huh? The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. You want me to worship God when everything's fine, but I'm also going to worship God when things are not fine. And that's Job's response to it. But that's a very sensitive one, and I don't want to jump into that one too much. At least not for this sermon. Uh, and then the next one where we're going to spend uh, most of our time 
is going to be with Judas. This is a third and, and pretty major thorn that happens. In fact, this thorn is going to bring the crown of thorns. As you know the story, right? Um, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. By a kiss. 30 pieces of silver. One of the disciples, one of the closest people to Yeshua on earth, betrays him and hands him over to the Roman authority. And what happens here is uh, there, there's, there's, there's a thorn that has come to Judas. And this is what we learn. The thorn that comes to you in your life will either bring you deeper into the revelation of Jesus or will drive you further away. In Paul's experience, he draws him closer to the Father. I want to be made strong in my weakness. Judas, it drives him further away. That's very interesting when we take a look at uh, the story of Judas. Luke chapter 22, verse 3 says this. Then Satan enters Judas, of, uh, Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve. It's very powerful. This thorn. A messenger of Satan is sent to Judas, Satan himself. But now, the accuser, the thorn, punctures and enters into Judas. So thorns come and we can keep those thorns at bay and not allow them to puncture us. They can just irritate us, but not allow it to puncture into us. And with Judas, the thorn punctured into him. And now Judas becomes the very accuser. And now Judas hands over Jesus to the Roman authority. Become the ultimate accuser. You, you track what I'm saying here? Hopefully you remember the story. And so meditating on this and praying about this and trying to figure out like, Lord, what are you saying here? And it's very, very bizarre. And it's this. It reminds me of a Bob Dylan song. It's just crazy. In a way... And please heal my heart here. I'm not making complete theology out of this, but in a way, Judas was needed to bring Jesus to the crucifix. Did you hear this? A thorn, an irritant, a messenger of Satan was needed to bring Jesus to the crucifix. You know what's so powerful? Is that now that God, now God is going to use that thorn. I, when, I, when, I, when I read this and I was plugging into it, I was like blown away. God in this circumstance uses Satan to defeat Satan. He, you hear, like, like, he uses Satan to go to Judas, to have Jesus be laid over to the Roman authorities, to eventually, essentially, defeat Satan by the power of the cross. It's like the very thorn of our lives can be used to defeat the thorn. Come on now. Um, the thorn will either bring you deeper into the revelation, or it will drive you further away. When Satan entered into Jesus, I'm sorry, when Satan entered into Judas... Satan signs his own death warrant. By his own hand, he brings Jesus to the redemptive power of the cross. 
And in this whole kind of thing here, now we have Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so what I was trying to get at here is this. God uses Satan to defeat Satan, and God will use the thorn of your life to defeat Satan's plan on your life. But that's only, that's only going to happen if you allow the thorn to drive you closer to Jesus than to drive you away. And Zeke, I think I'm really going to need you on the piano, man. This is what Paul is saying here. Fine, I've been humbled and that's a, a why. I've saw this revelation, that's a why. But the real why here is this. I'm going to allow the difficulties in my life to draw me closer to Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, whatever difficulty you're going through in your life, it is either going to defeat you or you can use that very thing to defeat it. Because when difficulties come to me, I draw nearer to the Lord. I need to rely more on Him. When difficulties come, I lift up my voice in worship and I declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then what happens here? Satan's got to go. He's got to go because he can't stand the presence of praise. And I think if you get this, it's like it's 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 really going to release you in some things. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, sorry, verse nine. And he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." And then Paul says, "I take pleasure in all the difficulties of all the reproaches because I know that when I'm in this place, I need to rely on Him more. When the thorn comes into your life, you're able to rely more on God." I think we've forgotten some of this, man. James chapter 1, right? Glory in all trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. They can be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, who will give to you liberally without reproach. Largely in the modern church, we come into this place like, I don't want any of the suffering. I'm not saying we ask for the suffering. I'm not saying that illnesses and diseases are the place of suffering that Paul is talking about, but there is difficulties in life. And there are thorns that come. And they'll do one of two things. Drive you closer. Or drive you further. Judas was drawn further away. And I'm telling you, the difficulty in your life, the thorn can be used and will be used to defeat the power of Satan in your life. I've always been troubled and I was always angry that Judas commits suicide. It always perplexed him. He was so overcome by the power of Satan that he takes his own life. But if we look close, closer at the story, we see something a little bit more powerful than that. Judas becomes the accuser because the thorn punctured him. The accuser of Jesus committed suicide that day. Judas is a representation that Satan on that day commits his own suicide. The thorn in your flesh will die when it no longer has its work or power in you. 
I am telling you that you can get to a place when the difficulties come in your life. And whether it's a, it's a principality or a demon or if it's a person or if it's a messenger saint, whatever. Difficulties come. In the story of Judas, that very difficulty produced its own suicide. By Satan using Judas, Satan kills himself and doesn't even know it. By Judas bringing Jesus to the cross, the redemptive work of the power of the gospel was done, signifying his ultimate and complete defeat forever. And I'm telling you, when these bad things and these things come to you and these thorns and these irritants come, if we go to the Lord with them, you'll see their own demise in your life. But that will only happen when it no longer has its power and its grip on you. It'll just fall away. And so there are some additional lessons to learn from Judas. Just bring the piano down a little bit. Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. It's like, what? Like Judas, you, you, you saw miracles, you saw healings, you saw Lazarus raised from the dead and you, you cast it all away for 30 pieces of silver? Really? He didn't do it for the money. He actually gives the 30 pieces of silver back. Right? He casts it, he like can't handle it, he gives it back to the Roman. But a thorn came to him. And remember, the thorn will either bring you deeper into the revelation of Jesus or drive you further away. And I was meditating on this, I was just thinking, when the thorn came to G Judas... Because he's not doing it for money. There's no way. I mean, after seeing all of that and giving the money even away back to the Romans, he clearly could not have been doing it for the money. And so what did Satan, what could Satan have said, said to him? And I think what Satan probably said to him is probably a whisper. I think he... Now, there's some alliteration here. There's some poetic kind of stuff I'm doing here. And we don't know exactly what he said. But I think, I think in my spirit, Satan went to Judas and said, and said this. Mashiach ben David. Messiah, son of David. In Jewish thought and biblical thought, there's two types of messiahs. There's a Mashiach, Messiah ben David, who is who is the righteous king, the one who's going to set up his political kingdom on planet Earth. And then there is the Messiah ben Yosef, who is the suffering servant Messiah. And Jesus comes as a suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But all of the disciples want him to be the eternal political king over Israel and over the Earth. And that's what they're asking. Please do this. Do this. When are you going to do this? Even his triumphant un entry into Jerusalem, they're all saying Hosanna, Hosanna, thinking that he was going to be the political king and kick out the Romans. And Jesus said, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. If I wanted to, I could just send down legions of angels and it'll be done, but that's not what I'm about right now. And I think this is what happened, that Satan comes in as a thorn and goes to Judas and says, if Jesus is captured, then he will be forced to usher into his kingdom. 
sell him out. It'll be for his own good. It'll be for the good of all things. Because if he's captured, surely he's going to have to give it up and bring his kingdom. And how horrible would that have been because there would not have been a redemption power of the cross. And so when looking into this, I'm feeling this for us. How do we take these things and how do we take the thorns and how do we process Judas's life and how do we take this into us personally? It's this. We can do the very same thing that Judas did. It is when we force the hand of God. It's when we try to control God to make my will his will. You be very careful. It must be his will, not our will. There's a lot of ministries who try to force the hand of God and say this is what the hand of God looks like in our community and this is what it's supposed to be. If you uplift the flesh, over the spiritual. You are succumbing to the power of the thorn, succumbing to the power of the messenger of Satan. But the beauty here is in the right hand, the thorn is used to defeat Satan. You see, the accuser of the brethren comes to a different man, Jesus himself, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think Satan probably went to Jesus and probably was like, man, I'm going to tempt you like you've never been tempted before. Here you are awaiting, knowing your crucifixion, knowing that you'll spend three days separated from the Father. Don't you know, right now when you're in the garden, they're coming to get you? Don't you see the crown of thorns? Don't you see your hands and feet pierced? Don't you see the, the, the slashings? Don't you see the pain of being on the crucifix? Jesus. You can stop all that right now. If you just bring your earthly kingdom right now. If he just brought his earthly kingdom right then, right then. All of that pain, all that separation would, would never have happened. And so the thorn comes to him. And unlike Judas, Jesus stands strong. He prays and he sweats blood. And he goes to his father, Father, take this cup from me if it's your will. But thy will be done. Complete surrender. Not my kingdom, my father's kingdom. Not what people think it should look like, but the way that he sees it. That simple phrase, that simple heart, your will, Father, be done in my life. That statement doesn't just defeat the enemy, it makes a mockery of the enemy. And it's such a mockery because he uses the thorn of Satan to defeat the very thorn that was set out. And so in conclusion with all of this, This last thorn, going back to Paul. Why a thorn? For Christ to be made more strong in him. To keep Paul humble due to the revelation. But the revelation is inexpressible. And it's unlawful to even utter. 
But Paul, Paul leaves us some signs of what he saw. Amen? He leaves us some signs of what he saw. And I believe it's the signs of what he saw that's going to be able to unleash you to draw closer to him when the thorns of life come. Ephesians 1, chapter 3. Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you, you hear that? I, I believe when Paul goes into the heavenly place and he's, and he's there, he, he, he sees every, every spiritual blessing that we're able to have. Ephesians 2, 6. Let's do uh, verse 4, actually. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What we have here through this revelation, I believe, is this. Paul sees our inheritance. He sees us being able to receive every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He sees us sitting with him. And so I just encourage you with this, as the thorns of life come, and as the difficulties come, like Paul, you can meditate on that revelation that you have access to every spiritual blessing. What's in heaven is also ours for now. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no illness in heaven. There's no hurting relationships in heaven. And so when the thorn comes, he's going to say, you don't, you're not allowed to have access to those things. How many of you have heard ministers who preach that way? Oh yeah, you have cancers because of this. And you can't, you can't just pray that away. Are you kidding me? The scriptures tell you, you have access to heavenly things. I believe that you will not be able to activate the revelation of sitting in heavenly places unless the accuser comes to you and tells you that you can't have it. Okay, theologically you'll get it, but practically you won't be able to put it on. And I think that's why Paul has this, 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 this thorn. We need to allow the difficulties, we need to allow the thorns to transform us and transfer us into heavenly places. When the difficulties come, we don't set our eyes on the difficulty. We set our eyes on heavenly places. Amen. It's time for you and I to take our seat, which is, which is rightfully ours, in the throne room of God, having access to the things that the Lord has destined for us, those things which are inexpressible, those things which are even unlawful to speak. And taking your seat and being transferred into heavenly places is, is the garden again. And as Missy was just praying and, 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 and speaking to the church last week, the Garden of Eden, having that experience of walking with God in the cool of the day, is simply a conversation and a head turn. Setting your eyes on Him and speaking to Him. And so, yeah, the title of the message is A Revelation Brings a Thorn. But I'm here to tell you that the thorn can bring you deeper into the revelation of Jesus. Why don't we stand?
Come on, let's stand on this word a little bit. I just pray right now that the thorn, the messenger of Satan, will not be able to take this away and steal it. Well, let's just pray into this word because this is, this is the type of word that when you leave these four walls, the thorn comes and the accuser comes and he starts to tell you that you don't have access to heavenly things. He's going to begin to say that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough to just take your life, just do the drugs, just get into the argument. But I'm here to tell you today that when those thoughts come to you, it will do one of two things. It will either destroy you or it will destroy Satan in your life. We need to pray right now that there be a spirit of victory in the camp of the Lord. Come on, I glory in all trials and tribulations. I glory in all thorns and all thoughts that come to me. Because when those thoughts and those things come to me, it's an opportunity to rely on the power of the cross. To transfer me and to bring me into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray right now that this house would be a house that sits in heavenly places with you. That this house would be a people that sit with you in heavenly places because of the power of the cross. Father, I, I, I pray and I speak against the spirit and the thorn of addiction. I speak against the thoughts of, of high thoughts, of depression and anxiety. We just pray that when those thoughts come to you, there's a moment in time, there's a moment in eternity that you do one of two things. You could succumb to the power of the thorn like Judas. Or you could be like Jesus. You say, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven I'm seated in high places in the throne room of God. And when the evil one comes to me and tries to destroy me and tries to steal all the good and perfect gifts that you have for me, I come to the throne room of grace and I speak the inexpressible thing. That Jesus intercedes on my behalf, the right hand throne of the Father. I just ask you to raise your hand right now. If you have a thorn in your life, just raise your hand if and only if, I'm sorry, if and only if you have a thorn in your life that seems to be cut into your skin, that just seems to want to work its way through the work gloves, that just seems to want to puncture and cause blood to drip and to drop. We say right now to that thorn, we say right now to that thing, let it be used to make us weak in our flesh, but strong in the Spirit of God. For your grace is sufficient unto us in our weakness. And Father, if you take it away, take it away. But I know this to be true. When that thorn no longer has power over me, it's got to go. It's got to go. Depression, go in the name of Jesus.
OCD, go in the name of Jesus. Lust, go in the name of Jesus. Come on, when depression comes to you, it's an opportunity to say, fine, the, the accuser of the brethren is saying this about me, but what does Jesus say about me? Come on, when the spirit of OCD comes over you and you feel like everything needs to be controlled, you can say, I'm going to let go because those that are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. I'm going to allow Holy Spirit to control my life. When the spirit of lust comes and wants to cause your eyes to go astray and you just want to seek that pleasure principle inside of your brain, you could say, what brings me the ultimate pleasure? Communion with Him. Communion with Him. Come on, we're just going to a little bit more time before we, we, we let go of service. I just feel the Lord wants to release this in this house. Jesus in the garden. The blood dripping down his forehead. He could have taken control. But he releases it to the Father. Father, people in the church want to be strong in you, but they're not ready to be weak in you. Undone before you. Undone before you, O oh God. We glory when trials come. It forces us to be seated in heavenly places. Train our minds, train our spirits to be seated in heavenly places. To enter in through prayer, to enter in through fasting, to enter in through worship. To see the inexpressible.
Yes. Once Paul learns what it's like to be strong in his weakness, and once his attitude changes, he has the boldness to walk out with the signs of the apostle. Chapter 12, verse 12, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I believe what the scriptures are saying here is to walk out with the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, signs, wonders, and miracles. It's coming to a place of being made strong in Him. That even when the thorns come, it doesn't come to destroy us. That the thorns come and we are able to set our eyes on the heavenly places and be seated with Him and have access to the heavenly things. So Zeke is going to continue to play. If you are sick and tired of that thorn coming to you, I'm not going to pray it away, per se. I'll pray away sickness. I definitely will pray away sickness. But if there are these things in your life that are, that are, that are difficult, I'm going to pray this that that difficulty will cause you to set your eyes on heavenly places and heavenly things. And then as you are educated and walking in that, it's got to go. It's like the old saying, right? You give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man how to fish, he eat for a lifetime. And so now when new things come, and new difficulties may arise in your life, you have been trained on what it looks like, boom, to go to heavenly places right in that moment and then those things have to fall off. They have to fall off. They have to fall off. So have a wonderful week. We have refreshments downstairs and we'll be here Wednesday for a little community night. But if you're in the, in the, in the sanctuary here, please keep your voices down. We want to have a time of prayer. Josh, if you can come on down and just help me with some prayer. Once again, if there is a thorn... an irritant, an accuser of the brethren. Let's pray that we can use this to be sent into heavenly places to see the inexpressible, to see the unlawful, to see what it looks like to be seated in heavenly places. Have a wonderful week.